Hello there listener, hope you're an Android developer. Welcome back to The Context, episode 16. This time, we would like to talk about workflows, tools, and everything else hardware and software and workflow related. And we have a special guest today, Artem, welcome back. Yo, what's up? <laughs> and we also have, of course, Arthur with us. Hey, Arthur. Hey, I actually missed Artem and I've heard him on other podcasts. So he's welcome back, yeah. finally. Yeah, thank you very yeah, much. He just didn't let me in. <laughs> All right, where, where do we start? Should we first talk about our hardware and software preferences? Um, I mean, it's not only Android development related, but I think most of those things we are going to talk about will be Android development related. So maybe, maybe Artem, you can start. What is your preference? Laptop or a desktop PC machine? Mm -hmm. uh, I just hate current generation of laptops. It's just super slow and terrible to use. So... I prefer laptops, <laughs> I guess, because I can uh, go to different locations with them. Uh, but still, like as a as a super main machine at home and stuff like that, I prefer desktops. And I recently ordered another desktop for home just because the current gen of laptops is just not enough. It's like 16 gigs of RAM. It's just a joke <laughs> in 2018. So, yeah. Yeah, especially if Gradle takes up like... 15 of the 16 gigabytes oh, of run. <laughs> <laughs> we just actually recently had like XMX for Gradle for 16 gigs. So yeah, that's, oh. that's super terrible. Yeah. What about you? Well, I I like having a laptop. I'm, I'm not, con yeah, the hardware is not super, super great compared to desktop, um, but it works for me. So I have this new MacBook 17. What about our gear? Oh, uh -huh. and 17? No, no. 2017, no, sorry. Oh, 2000. I thought 17 inches. Honestly, dig, dig up maybe on eBay, like this is a 17 inch MacBook. <laughs> yeah. It was nice times. The new one. I don't know. How, how, it's the new one. I, I, don't, I, I, I have no idea how people actually carried it because it's huge. It's just monstrous. <laughs> well, I'm probably on the same side as Artem on this because I like desktops for its power and just modification. And actually, at the previous job, I had an iMac, and it was fine. It was not a retina one, but uh, it didn't make much difference for me. And laptops are nice that you can carry them around and like work from home when you are sick or something like that. And it's kind of useful, but I agree that mobile CPUs are kind of a crap right now. Uh, and especially with large projects, especially with Artem, he is working at Lyft, and their project is just amazing in size. Uh, I have no idea how it's, it is even man managed in any way, uh, but I guess my ideal setup will be just a desktop for work and laptop for home, I guess, just for, to carry it around. Uh, yeah, and right now I'm just doing something like that because I'm just using a 4K monitor at work and external keyboard and trackpad, but mostly because of the neck pain, because it's, it's not uh, so much better for your health to look down at something than just look forward. So basically it's maybe health related. And do you guys use like external monitors or something like that? Yeah, one one external monitor, um, not 4K, but uh, yeah, an external monitor. But what about you, Artem? Do you even use two external monitors? No, I actually don't understand that. I used to, to use like two and three monitors like seven years ago or something. But then I just figured that I'm actually a human and I can't do multitasking that much. So I just have one monitor, which is a laptop monitor at work. And I prefer that. I don't have like my, my desk is pretty empty because of that. And I don't understand 
connecting like separate keyboard and trackpad to laptop. It's just like, well, I mean, it doesn't really make sense to me. <laughs> so I don't do that. Just to clarify, I'm using a closed mostly. So I just have a closed MacBook and connected peripherals. So it's like basically a desktop. Yeah, me too. Yeah, but then I would prefer to have a desktop and like ask for a separate laptop or something. Yeah, that would that would be a better idea. But then you always have to sync, yeah, I don't know, you have stuff between both machines. That's kind of awkward for me. Man, everything is in the cloud, you know? Yeah, <laughs> Git. Yeah, but... Do you even use Git, Hannes? Wait. <laughs> what is Git? Is this, this cool new technology? What is Git? <laughs> yeah, for USB sticks. Oh, I see. Yeah, I use over this. internet. Oh, okay. I use SVN, that's quite cool. No, just kidding. <laughs> Wait, for real? Okay. okay. So let's just verify, Hannes uses seven inch MacBook and SVN and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, precisely, that's it. So do you guys actually, actually have some development devices at work or something like that in peripherals? I know Artem probably doesn't because he maintains other things. But I, I, I certainly don't have like a personal development device or something like that because I use emulators mm. most of the time. Thankfully, they're pretty stable on Mac at least <laughs> at this point. What about you, Hannes? Yeah, I also use emulators almost all of the time, except there are some weird bugs or some, yeah, some slow devices that I should check on for certain, I don't know, performance issues. But usually, uh, yeah, the emulator just works for me. And it's too bad to, for Motion. like I was a big fan of Motion, but I haven't used it since a year or something like that, since the Android emulator, it's gotten that better. Um, yeah. What are your preferences? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm also haven't had my personal development device for a couple of years now, I think. And actually, I'm not sure if developer options on my personal device are enabled or not. I don't really use that at all and if i need to run something i just use emulator nowadays i'm just interested do you artem actually do android development these days uh i mean if changing something without running it on android <laughs> qualifies <laughs> then i guess i do i really haven't run the app in a long time and do you even use lyft every day <laughs> i use it to travel so yeah uh, but not like, I don't install development versions on my uh, phone. We have, like, alpha and beta releases, so I just keep alpha, which is published twice a day. Cool. Should we move on to a professional environment? Like, now we have talked about the hardware, but what about software? What is your uh, VCS system? I've mentioned that I use SVN. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, so I personally use <laughs> Git. Yeah, okay. I use Git and GitHub. Good for you. But... I think that Git has the most awkward command line interface ever. <laughs> it's so unintuitive, but once you get used to it, it's it's okay. No. But you you enjoy the the command no. line interface. It's, it's the best. I think it's the best. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like you hate it, you like it, you hate it, you like it, but then it actually makes so much sense. No, it doesn't once make you sense. You learn most of internals. No, it does. It's just awesome, man. But the commands. I'm actually with Artem on this. Git, Git, Git is nice, actually. You just have to use it like for, for, for a couple of dozens of years and it will be fine for you. Just believe me. How do you delete a branch? Git branch dash D. And how do you delete yep. a remote branch? Git push. Git push 
That doesn't make any yeah. sense. Colin, branch name. That doesn't make any sense. That's sorry. awesome. No, that's... They, they actually have a dash dash delete flag now, I think. Yeah, it's available for recent versions of Git. So. Uh, yeah, but I delete branches on GitHub. Yeah, it's not a big deal. I don't know. I don't know. We're actually using, using Bitbucket at work. <laughs> so it sucks. I don't know. Uh, just Bitbucket integration everywhere is so bad. I don't know if you've used it. At any time, I, I know Artem did, but uh, basically every plugin, like for Jenkins and everything like that, is not supported or supported really badly. And I don't know, uh, on GitHub, I just uh, like to read code sometimes, you, don't know, you, you know, just change your perspective. Not look at the code from the IDE, but from something else, like not connected to all this environment you do and use every day. But Bitbucket just doesn't feel like that for me. It just feels awkward all the time. And all these review settings are just, just a mess. Yeah. For the most part, I really hate Bitbucket. But except maybe like the tree style comments while on GitHub they're in like a flat view, which really doesn't make sense, especially if you discuss something and like you want to, to start a thread or a branch from the common discussion. That I liked more at Hub for sure. Oh, in Bitbucket. I don't know why we still why we are still using Bitbucket. Maybe just for infrastructure reasons. Still, like it was a year ago. But I don't know. It just feels awkward. But uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe it, it is because of our backend team. Because as I see it, our mobile teams actually have more discussion on pull requests than backend teams. So you basically just approve everything and just push it as it is. And just sometimes they discuss changes and propose anything. But for mobile teams, I think it will be better to use just GitHub because it has much better like solution for discussing things. But yeah, Bitbucket is really bad at this. So anyway, uh, enough of bad things. <laughs> Let's switch to another bad thing. Like what about CI at uh, your work? We are using Jenkins and it is fine, especially after Artem tuned it a little bit. And we basically have Jenkins pipeline set up and uh, Git plugin. So basically it's two plugins that eventually just break anyway. So my main reason why Jenkins is not so good is because of their plugin system, which are not that compatible between versions and kind of feels awkward to update one thing and everything else breaks all of a sudden. Uh, so yeah, that's an issue for us. <laughs> Uh, some things like Travis, Circle, and other things are too expensive as I saw it like recently. I don't know, it just feels too much for... In comparison with just Jenkins custom setup, which is not that bad, actually. And I've taken a look at Drone CI uh, some time ago. Basically, it's like a local host Travis. You can set up it yourself. So yeah, it's nice, but I just haven't spent much time on it because time, you know, just 24 hours in a day. But it looks nice and uh, supports Docker images, uh, which is how we run jobs. Basically, everything is put into a Docker image, but I think Artem can elaborate on that. Uh, so what about you, Hannes? What is your CI of choice? Um, it's hard to say what my personal choice would be, but in the company I currently work for, we use Sirtle CI. Um, it's not super nice, but it's also not super bad. Mm, I don't know. The nice thing is that you don't have to... Why don't you like it? Yeah, I, I like that you can use your own Docker images. That's that's a big win from my point of view. But on the other hand, you can tweak it or configure the CI system that much. For instance, you cannot say build 
or you can say built on every git push that's the default setting or you can say built on every pull request but there's nothing in between so for instance you can say always uh built only on pull requests but also but master built on every push or something like that so that doesn't work so that, that's kind of a little bit tricky mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and also we have some scripted tools around it that that try to overcome some other limitations that then use the REST API of CircleCI to trigger a build, and they also have workflows or a concept of a workflow, which is its story on its own. But those REST APIs are also not that nice and you don't have full, well, you only have very basic support for those APIs. So you can start a job, but not start workflows, which is kind of strange. That's, yeah, it's, in, it's on the to-do list, but yeah. So all in all, I think it's not super nice, but also not super, super cool, but in general, I think I like hosted solutions more than self-hosted solutions. What about you, Artem? You're the expert in this area here. <laughs> well, well, I might actually have tried most of CIs available on market. And uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm still sort of a fan of Jenkins pipeline setup. After all, if you don't use any plugins other than Git and do everything yourself, it works very nicely and very configurable, especially with like, if you have proper auto-scaling, that's super, super good. At Lyft, we have, we have custom CI system. Um, it uses Jenkins right now, but we're moving away from Jenkins and we have like a custom DSL on top of that, that renders into Jenkins jobs, which drives me nuts. <laughs> it's like the, one of the. Uh, most confusing DSLs I've worked with, um, but we are moving towards Kubernetes-based CI, and we will have another version of custom. Yeah, we'll hopefully have another version of custom DSL for CI, uh, which should remove most of pain points, and I'm keeping an eye on that and talking to CI people at Lyft. Uh, but it's actually the the like the core system is very interesting. It's like an auto-scaling setup where they have a type of instances that whoever pays more, Amazon just gives this instance to them. So at any given point of time, your machine just can die, which is super nice to for like a cluster, for a properly like distributed system when you know that everything can die. So they have lots of like infrastructure error handling and stuff like that. And they have like this trading system that bits for <laughs> and buys machines for us when there is a workload that needs to be handled. So when everyone goes home, like this uh, CI cluster loses lots of machines and we optimize lots of costs by doing that, which is something I really wanted to do all the time I've set up the CI. It's just that it requires lots of time and configuration to do. So yeah, um, I still like Travis for... Uh, open source project so it's just that I'm very used to it and use it pretty much everywhere in open source I remember it was your dream all the time just to make everything out of scale and you just embarked <laughs> DevOps team like every yeah. every week we should out of scale things we should out of scale things because we should I mean everyone should out of scale it's like the next step the, best. the next step is just out of scale teams of people exactly know? yeah yeah <laughs> you just like whoever pays more <laughs> <laughs> they just get the, the person. You have to just make some sort of balancer that it, will, that it wouldn't just fire people all the time. <laughs> so, okay, that's a weekend. We should fire everyone. Well, yeah, like your Jira backlog is empty. Like everyone gets fired. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. 
I've never seen a Jira backlog empty, by the way, but okay. Um, what okay, what are your preferences what, for? What yep. Sorry, I'm. What what are your preferences for running UI tests? Do you use real hardware, like real devices connected to your Jenkins server somehow, over a slave or whatever? Or do you use Test Lab from Google? Any other cloud-hosted service? What is your preference there? Okay, Artemis is your field, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I can tell something about what was is in Juna, but you still can talk about it because you, you made it. Yeah, so uh, Firebase test lab is pretty stable, but sucks in lots of other areas. Like, I don't know, like the, the console, the web UI is so bad. It's like you, all the screenshots from all the tests are on the single page sorted. I don't know how. <laughs> it's like they are not in the alphabetic order. Um, then... What else? Like the logcat output is split into pages. So if your test run took about like five minutes, it's about 100 pages to like click through <laughs> and no search. It's like, who the hell created this system? I don't know if they even <laughs> run the test yeah. once or something. Then the CLI tool that they provide you is part of the Google Cloud like tooling, which is a giant set of like tools and Firebase is a small part of it. So even if you open the documentation on it on how to integrate it, they have an example with Jenkins. <laughs> so what do you want to do is that you want to grab, let's say, JUnit report, the XML, right, to and attach it to Jenkins so Jenkins could show you how many tests passed or something like this, right? You, you want yeah. that. So their CLI tooling doesn't pull it automatically into your file system for you. It just prints it to std out like here's the link to it like what am i supposed to parse it uh, like can't you just add a damn option to pull it automatically to my machine yeah we and do exactly the they same don't, in circles also yeah. they don't really have oh really yeah. i thought they have like custom <laughs> integration with firebase lab i haven't used it oh, that's maybe. super bad yeah and probably the only part about firebase I like is that the pricing is on point is like you pay per minute basically which is very cost effective um, in other services the best pricing model you can get is like you pay per hour and like if your test took like three minutes on a single device you pay for the whole hour which is like stupid um, yeah also Firebase doesn't let you control how the test run they give some handles but typically they just start the test for you and you lose lots of like uh, control on that part at juno we wrote a custom instrumentation test runner uh, which replaced spoon for us it's called composer it gives much more details into how tests run and we can control lots of things which is super good so yeah um we looked into jenny motion cloud i can't really talk much about it I mean, if they fix the pricing model and like sync it with Firebase test lab, I think they will just kill it because they basically give your ADB uh, connection over network. So you see devices uh, with like ADB on your CI, which is like super good. And actually what do you want? You just want like emulators and cloud, but you still want to have ADB connection so you could do everything manually if you want and have much more control. So yeah. Either Jenny Motion Cloud or Firebase need to like, Firebase if they could give us ADB access that would be like killer and I'm not sure about the future of Jenny Motion then but if Jenny Motion could fix pricing that would be killer for the Firebase I think so that's that's about that uh, at Juno I've set up custom 
cluster of emulators, um, which was a pain in the ass to maintain, actually, uh, because emulators are uh, not stable at all, especially if you run them in parallel massively. And yeah, we had to dockerize emulators and stuff like that, and still it was a pain in the ass. Um, but I think like for the bigger companies or custom workflows, that's probably the the best option because you control lots of stuff and you can autoscale that. You can autoscale everything and yeah, and optimize costs. So yeah, uh, I can add, elaborate a little bit on the Juno setup. Like Arthur mentioned, it is like a local cluster of GPU, of machines with GPU because emulators want it and to use it. Uh, and it all works fine until suddenly everything doesn't. Because if uh, something breaks, it breaks really bad. And basically emulators can stop in the middle of running tests at the startup time or just in between. The Google tooling is kind of uh, messy thing right now. I don't know if they're going to fix it, it anyway, in any way. For example, it is not possible to download a fixed version of the emulator binary at all. Because they have uh, versions in names, like maybe you saw that build tools, column 27, something, something. Uh, that's kind of a version they use, but also they have revisions. And for emulators, there is no version, but there are revisions. And basically, every time you pull an emulator, it can be a random version of the binary. And of course, they are not compatible with system images, which also have revisions and also have versions. But versions are connected to the SDK level. Okay, so it's going to be <laughs> just people minds are breaking right now. But uh, it is uh, as it is. The solution. Yeah, this is very bad. The solution is uh, is the only one. There is only one solution. It's basically just catch it somehow locally and uh, Artem set up Docker images exactly for that. So basically, we have a freezed quote unquote state uh, of this whole tool chain and it kind of works but it doesn't save you from host machine updates because basically it's Linux of course and you can update the kernel or if you have Ubuntu it tends to update the kernel on reboots and reboots do happen because of uh, just power surges something like that so um, it's basically a mess I would not suggest it to anyone with small teams because for now our team is people and basically only me have only I have some knowledge in it and basically if something breaks I should fix it because nobody even touches it and if no, it's, it's basically I don't know uh, how to communicate it better because mostly you want to spend your development time on development and not just supporting emulators and everything like that so it's kind of a hard decision but uh, if you have the resources it's kind of a way to do this because I know some companies maintain teams exactly for that just to support emulators and this whole ui test setup but yeah it's pain in the ass what about you Hannes? you mentioned that you parse firebase logs or something like that yeah yeah that's weird but yeah so basically we use just a firebase test lab to run our ui tests there and yeah and then parse the or pull the result somehow from Firebase back into CircleCI and make the build fail or not fail, whatever the, the JUnit XML result is. Um, yeah, not super perfect, but kind of works. Um, works works okay. Um, I was wondering, what do you think? Will Google release its own CI system with, let's say, a Firebase CI uh, setup somehow integrated with TestLab? What is your opinion there? I think they are not interested in that because you have a lot of 
CI systems and they have they have this Firebase thing and I think they are interested in that people use this instead of anything else. Actually, my issue with UI tests is just tooling. I think UI tests are nice to have uh, if you have time and resources, but for now tooling actually sucks from every way you see it. But uh, in some capacity, you can write espresso tests with, without any major problems or issues on that. Artem, what do you think? Well, I think it's actually interesting guess from Hannes about Google CI. I mean, they definitely have like super custom internal systems for that. And as they, well, it's not entirely Google open source Kubernetes, but ex-Googlers. So it might be possible that someone, I'm, I'm maybe waiting for some CI system that is based on Kubernetes APIs because Kubernetes provides you like provisioning and everything for uh, machines and then you can run stuff on that. So, and Google now has Kubernetes like uh, API from the Google Cloud. So maybe you can just run this CI system just on top of Google Cloud as a Kubernetes provider. So I think that would be the direction um, we will see CI systems will go soon. But I'm not sure Google itself will release anything on their name. But they could, they could uh, specifically because Bazel, uh, the build system, uh, I'm pretty sure it supports the remote build thing, which requires some sort of remote build capacities on the server side. So that might be connection there. Yeah, makes sense. I'm also wondering, well, we have had this own episode about build systems, but I was wondering if Basel will be kind of not become the default standard soonish, but if it gets like more more attention in the Android community. And I know that you have experimented a little bit with other build systems uh, at Lyft, right, Adam? So what is your, let's say, in one sentence, too long, don't read uh, sum up of build systems in 2018? Well, there is Gradle, Basel, and Buck. Um, choose your own drug. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, Wiz, but too, uh, is Buck and Gradle. Uh, both are pain in the ass <laughs> for different reasons. So um, I'm actually trying to catch up Buck from Gradle site because Buck as a build system is fine and fast, but the tooling part of the story is pretty bad. We have to use IntelliJ. Um, not everything works there. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I really hope we will be able to get to back to Gradle and make it as fast as Buck and use Android Studio. Um, but basically with our setup, we're hitting all the limits of all the tooling we have. Uh, so many modules, so much code in the single repo. So like ID goes crazy on indexing times. Uh, then build system goes crazy on like building stuff. <laughs> then Git goes crazy on pulling stuff. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, it's it's challenging. Oh, by the way, I think Mercurial works quite better than Git for such huge multi multi projects or single repository uh, project, modern repository projects. I just have had some weird experience with some larger open source uh, repositories where you kind of do a checkout and then you wait for for 10 minutes until everything is checked out. That's that's crazy. And Darren Mercurial really works more fast and more efficient. So overall, I would like to use Mercurial over Git, but that's a different topic, I guess. Oh, and Facebook is building its own Mercurial-based uh, server system somehow. So I can li- I can link add a link to the show notes in Rust, by the way, which seems nice, but different story. Um, should we move on to software since we have already talked about software? So I guess most of us are using Android Studio, and you have mentioned that you use IntelliJ. Are you 
and you are not happy with IntelliJ, what exactly are your kind of concerns there and why is it not working that that much or that good for you? Well, you always have like this problem where features Android Studio is based on IntelliJ, right? So uh, whenever some features or updates come in IntelliJ side, Android Studio have to like sync back with them and that typically takes from months to a couple months uh, in a good scenario when the the vice versa is also true because IntelliJ's Android support is from Android Studio and they also sync <laughs> progress from Android Studio. So in our case, specifically because of the Buck setup, so Buck generates IntelliJ project model for us and there are issues with that, like layout preview sometimes doesn't work. You can't navigate through resources in the code, which is like such painful thing to not have. <laughs> I mean, you click on the like r.id and you go into r class like in Eclipse. It's like what? <laughs> so stuff like that happens, and it's not it's not super good. Um, also, Android Studio like 3.0 is a major step forward in terms of Android development. It's like so many tools are now integrated inside of it. And not everything is available on the technology side. And so people are just like a little bit lost, um, want features back. So I guess um, that's most of the problems we face with IntelliJ. Um, it's just not as good as Android Studio for Android development, obviously. But from Android Studio, we it's like the, the Gradle sync is super slow for us still. It's like we optimize a lot and we work on that, but it's still super slow. However, the indexing time is better. So like whenever you change something like you get pull, IntelliJ can spend a couple of minutes on indexing. Android Studio typically indexes faster for us. So those are the trade-offs. Um, and also when you run the build from IntelliJ with Buck is much like Buck incremental builds for us are much faster still. So I can't really recommend anyone in our project to build with Android Studio because it's also there is a problem on macOS when you build from Android Studio, it's much slower than uh, when you build from terminal. I think it's related to how macOS prioritizes processes. So one solution to that could be remote builds when you offset the build from your machine to remote one. So I think that will be the direction we will be going in a couple months. So yeah. I actually never understood why, why, why they actually maintain Android Studio as a separate product and not as an, an IntelliJ plugin. Because uh, of course, IntelliJ plugins have some limitations, but it would be just nicer for the ecosystem to have it like a separate component that can be updated individually. And sometimes, uh, for example, with spec, if we are going to mention it, uh, there is an issue with just running tests because Android Studio overrides targets, just has some weird way to, for discovering tests. But in my mind, it should be exactly the same as in, in IntelliJ. But for, for some reason, they actually modify it. And it kind of breaks my mind on it. Because in my world, uh, there was Eclipse <laughs> sometime before. And the Android development tools, uh, as I remember, it was were updated separately. And it worked kind of nice. And it, or actually just kind of worked. And it would, it would be nice for me just to have Android Studio Company as a separate plugin without all the Google plugins that are bundled in Android Studio and everything like that. By the way, if you are using Android Studio, please check your preferences and disable all plugins you don't use because they are loaded in memory and sometimes even executed. So it's, an, it's a good idea just to disable anything you don't use. 
So what about you, Hannes? Do you have some preference in IDE or do you use Eclipse like with 7-inch Bankbook or something? <laughs> uh, no, no Eclipse. And also my Ender Studio setup is pretty, pretty, pretty the standard one. No, no special plugins, no minor tweaks, the default key binding, just the default out of the box thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't modify your key binding. The pair programming is like impossible if you have custom layout. Yeah. But speaking of tweaking and customizations, how does your terminal, your console look like? Do you use any different? Uh, uh, shell or what is your uh, preferred shell? Uh, I'm using that that shell. That I don't know. I don't know how do you pronounce it properly, Artem? Uh, I actually don't know either. I pronounce it Z S H here. Okay, okay, <laughs> that's a pretty, pretty safe bet. Uh, I'm mostly using it because I've used Linux before, like for five years when I was in the university. So it kind of stick with me. And I moved to Mac. When when I moved to Mac, I just Set up basically the same ZSH config and everything works from this time. Uh, it's kind of useful. Uh, I, d I don't use like modified prompts or anything like that. It's just pretty plain. Uh, the suggestions are useful, something like that. Uh, but otherwise, it's pretty default for me. Uh, in terms of other tools uh, that I run from the console is mainframer, of course, as Arthur mentioned. Uh, the offloading build process is a nice thing. Oh yeah, can you explain uh, that a little I think bit? For, I think for, so basically, mainframer is a tool we've created in Juno with Artem because of uh, slow machines we have to work. And basically, uh, I still have a certain inch MacBook Pro, and it kind of sucks with uh, Kotlin compile times. So basically, there was an idea at some point that we can just execute everything on another machine. And basically, the thing MainFramer does is syncs uh, your project to another machine, does some work over the SSH, and just syncs it back. So basically, it's uh, vanilla offloading tasks uh, to another machine and you can do anything on that. So yeah, we use that uh, in the company and it saved us a lot of time. So that's a nice thing. Uh, other tools I use and can recommend is uh, CLOC. Uh, maybe you can pronounce it as clock. Basically, it counts your code, uh, skipping all commands and everything like that. So not very useful, but you can run some stats from time to time that show your team how many code you have. Uh, another one is in CDU, is basically an Encurses DU utility, if uh, you're familiar with it uh, from Linux. Basically, it allows you to navigate your file system and just uh, show how much space uh, does it take uh, for directory. It is useful for me basically just to clean up projects and everything like that because I don't know, for some reason, Android Gradle, Gradle plugin generates some profile data. Uh, without running profile, basically to just some internal JSONs they forgot to clean up or something like that. So maybe you just check yes, your project as well. I had like 50 megabytes of something like that of this profile of files, uh, which can, kind of can hurt if you are syncing it to via, via AirSync or something like that. Another one is TIG, is basically reversed Git. Uh, it is kind of nice uh, and curses interface to Git. Uh, and I'm just using Git from the console like like an animal, <laughs> uh, but it's useful for me. And the last one I use mostly every day, especially if I am not using 
an IDE or something like that. I just tweak quickly in the build files, something like that. Is the Silver Searcher. It is called SAG, like aluminum. Uh, from the console, it basically searches through your source code, skipping all uh, ignored by git files, and you can just, it basically a grab on steroids. So yeah, I've carried a bunch of things from Linux times with me, and it's kind of useful, uh, especially if you're doing something on a CI machine or something like that, basically because you know your environment is the same as locally. So yeah, something like that. What about you guys? Well, I use also uh, ZSH or how is it pronounced? <laughs> CSH. Um, but apart from that, I only have applied a, a theme for that and don't use that much other tools. Although I also use uh, Git exclusively for the command line. Um, so no GUI for Git or whatever, or the Android Studio integration. I'm still a command line guy. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, interesting question for you guys. Um, since you have already mentioned clock or count lines of uh, code. Do you believe in those statistics or do you even run those statistics on CI build and build some, I don't know, yeah, statistics to look at, even maybe code coverage? What do you think about those kind of tools? That's a very broad topic. Um, I don't like depend on these numbers much. It's like, especially the coverage number uh, could really lead into just tricking the coverage system setup rather than actually writing useful tests or something like that. The like measuring amount of code in the repo uh, is helpful if you have problems with that. We have problems with that. We have lots of code in the repo, so I measure it. It's it's a lot. <laughs> um, it's I think it's now about 550,000 lines of code of just Java and some Kotlin. Uh, so yeah, that's that's almost half a million, like a little bit over half a million lines of code. But I don't rely on that statistics much. It's just, it gives you some idea of why things are slow, <laughs> uh, if that wasn't obvious. So yeah, uh, I guess that's about the numbers. I mean, you can have like a separate episode on, on these statistics. We do some some analysis, like how many unit tests we have, which is like not super useful, but you just, you, you don't really care about the exact number. Typically you, you care about trends, which is good to understand, like if your team is actually adding more tests or not, rather than like how many tests exactly you have. Mm -hmm. Same about the coverage, like if coverage is dropping, that's a, a sign that something is going on, but the, the exact number can be very offset from reality, I think. I have actually a couple of stories related to this from <laughs> from Juno as well. Maybe Artem remembers that because uh, the one thing was with the code coverage, I think. Uh, the situation was <laughs> uh, about changing some resource file and the CI was configured that way that if your coverage is the same or below that before, it doesn't allow you to push it. So basically, if you change one line of code, you had to write some test. So that was kind of ridiculous, but <laughs> uh, we terminated it at some point. Um, the other thing was with trends. I think it's really useful. Some time ago, only because of trends, I found out that the Kotlin compiler actually slowed down a build, like twice, maybe. Uh, that was mostly related to Kotlin update and Kapt, of course. Uh, and uh, the other thing I think Artem remembers that <laughs> that we had a trend of uh, current unit test for each build and suddenly it dropped 
And basically, we spent some time finding out what was it. And the thing is, some unit test actually called system exit zero. So oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was funny. So basically, your test run failed at random moment of time it, because test run... Well, it uh, didn't uh, fail. It's just exit. Yeah, yeah. It's nice. It was okay. <laughs> test succeeded. And it was at a random point that we just spent some time scratching our heads because... Uh, tests were executed in not like a particular in a, a particular order, so yeah, it was fun. Wait, what was that? Was not in the test code, right? It was in the application code. We did some system exit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we tested that. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Nice. Crazy. Uh, I can drop a little bit about my local setup, the like the ZSH and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I use ZSH, of course. Uh, I just have like a Git plugin installed in it, and that's about it. And I think I use default theme. I don't use any aliases because I think aliases is pretty much same as like having custom key bindings on your uh, ID, which you basically are unable to work on other computers other than yours, which is very limiting. So I don't use those. Uh, the tool I can recommend, uh, which I got like uh, my colleague Ben Lee recently uh, told me about as rip grep it's like bye bye grep or something um so basically they really killed grep uh, if you run rip grep it, it's written in rust with use of very optimized regex engine and it's so fast that whenever you run it you actually like every time i'm not sure if it found everything <laughs> it's like under a second it's able to scan our giant project and find all matches and all files whatever and it's like super fast uh, i highly recommend to replace grep if you use it uh, with this tool and i think that's pretty much it ncdu that Arthur mentioned is very helpful when you just want to figure out uh like how much you know files do you have in the folder and what's the size of the folders and stuff like that because obviously in 2018 ls is too <laughs> uh, too complex already, I don't know why won't they add it to LS already, but yeah, that's, that's super helpful. And the uh, main framer part of it, uh, so I can quickly mention what we have in plans for mainframer 3.0, which is an active development. So first of all, I've rewritten it in Rust, <laughs> uh, not just for fun, it's for some features we want to integrate with it. We want to make mainframer a system-wide utility, so you could run it and like you can, you could have configurations and home folder like similar to Git or something. Uh, so you could use it from everywhere, not from just you know the project you're working on. Um, so it's it's basically anything you can do with files, uh, you can do remotely. So that's what Inframer is for, and I'm planning to integrate it in Lyft workflow as well. Because even with Buck, it it works with any build system or whatever you do with files. So. Even with Buck, we still consume lots of resources on local developers' machines. So no matter if we use Gradle or Buck, we still want to offload that. So yeah, I guess that's that's about it about local setup. Oh wait, wait! I just checked out the Mainframer repository, and it's entirely written in shell script. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no! I actually no. I have a custom integration test engine I've written in bash. So that's, and we have lots of tests. We have more tests and source code. In so shell script. You, no, well, in bash. Yeah. yeah, in bash, sorry. Those are integration tests. Come on, man, no. open SRC folder. It's all rest. No. So Hannes, do you plan using mainframe? Yeah, I've, I've used it in the past. 
um, but just for my own projects, not really in, oh, in wait, the company, really? just to play around with it. But Why you didn't tell me? Yeah, you never asked. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it, it's it. a nice tool. I like it. Yeah. But the the Gradle setup we have right now, or at least on my local machine for the project I currently work on, it's it's working fast enough fast enough on my on my MacBook. So like adding a doing some incremental um, applying some inc incremental code changes. Although I know Gradle is not working incrementally, but it takes like ten to twenty seconds to recompile, which is yes. okay. -ish. Gradle is incremental, come on. Is Gradle incremental? I mean, tasks can be incremental, but... It's like incremental in so many levels, uh, really. It's like it has up-to-date check. It has build cache, which is two layers, while Buck has only one layer of build cache. Okay. What What else do you want? It's like... Well, it's that the definition it's just of slow. incremental for you? <laughs> but it's incremental. Incremental would well, be I mean, just running it also has... tasks that are out of date. That's what it does. But it runs the Unless entire you like task. invalidate the whole project. Okay. Okay, then I like. Okay. Okay, no, no, no. Wait. Also Gradle <laughs> Gradle has incremental tasks, so your task can be incremental. Not just like skip the task or run the task, but run parts of the task. All right. It's just that it's still slow for some reason. <laughs> okay. But then maybe the yeah, like, Gradle plugin is not incremental. So. Uh it's not incremental in every of the infrastructure yet specifically the desugaring part is still breaks incrementability in our case but they're actively working on that so yeah Buck on the other hand is not incremental in terms of inside like every module they they only incremental as a like they only decide if module needs to be rebuilt or not. Oh, yeah, but they yeah, don't right. do anything incremental inside a module. They rely on compile so, avoidance, right? Rather than incremental builds. Right, right. Which is also supported by Gradle, but it's still slow. It's like so... I don't know. <laughs> you know I don't know how can you do that. And Hannah's just, just, just try to blame anything. Yeah. That doesn't allow him to do incremental builds. <sighs> I don't know. So, so uh, I just want... I just want to promote mainframer once more. Basically, for uh, <laughs> no, no, no. basically for a thousand bucks, you can build a custom Linux machine that, that will just save your life. It lives. sounded like we we'll you need it. to pay okay. us. Okay. <laughs> yeah. the, the trick is we sell it. Uh, so really, it's just much more scalable for I don't know for medium teams, I guess, for medium-sized teams. I don't know how Artem is gonna manage it for large teams because if you have like 50 developers, it will require some cluster or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but for medium-sized teams, it, it will save it will save a lot of time. But aren't you afraid that the company's network connection will uh, I don't know drop down if every single developer will upload and download things or by using mainframe from a from a server or from a remote build machine? Well, no, that's we, fine. We are we are not doing it in like a loop or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's it's not that bad actually. Also. Uh... So for the teams who use mainframer already and have an issue with like the remote machine is on AWS or somewhere uh, pretty far and the download speeds are not so good. So instead of waiting for remote build to finish and then sync back, we in 3.0, we will be syncing during remote build as well using rsync, which is very fast and applies like diffs um, of what you have already. So it's going to optimize like 99% of workflows, we think mainframers use right now. 
and the network shouldn't be such a bottleneck uh, after that. Also, the the way I'm thinking about setting it up at Lyft, as as well as I did at Juno, is every office will have own set of machines inside the office because local network is so much faster than going to remote network. It just like propagate static IPs and DNS names and do some load balancing on that. So that's that's my plan. Um, and part of the answer to the Hannah's question. Typically, what I found teams are doing who contact me about use of mainframe is that they have some like powerful machine like a Mac Pro that they start with inside the office. So that works as a beginning. Um, then you just go to some cloud provider or you buy even more powerful machine and more cost effective. So yeah, that's all the, these problems are solvable and just just talk to us. Uh, paid support. <laughs> it's it's not. Yeah, I wish I could take money for a mainframe, but I can't. <laughs> all right. Should we? Oh, one last thing, since we have already talked about shell scripts a little bit, which I think is the most awkward language to work with, but that's a different topic. What are your scripting languages? Do you really <laughs> use shell script or Python, Ruby, any other thing? What is your favorite one? I can dro just drop in my um, my favorite scripting language, which is Python. And if possible, I use Python 2, not Python 3, but that's a different story. <laughs> what is your preference there? What? Uh, I write lots of bash. I hate it. Uh, I just got sort of used to it, but it's really terrible. Uh, so I, whenever I see an opportunity to write an app or like a CLI tool instead of bash script, that's what I do. Like Rust for mainframer or Kotlin for lots of JVM or Android related tasks. I just write them as simple CLI tools and that is much easier to work with. You can have proper unit tests and like so many things are so hard in bash, like I don't know, like substring <laughs> or collections is like <laughs> never ask or something like that. So yeah. Uh, the Python and Ruby, I think among with PHP is like the set of the worst languages for like you can work with <laughs> uh, okay. environment. Um, and like on the website, you have JS, which is like the worst language of all times. <laughs> but, Hey, uh, uh, I just have to say, let's just vote, sure. vote Kickartem, okay? So. Vote Kickartem. I'm the server, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you can't vote kick me. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. But anyway, I think Python or Ruby is really unsustainable choice for anything other than a simple shell script. And even with Python, let's say, we just, this previous week, we had a problem, or maybe this week, I'm actually forgetting things. I think it was previous week. Uh, Homebrew updated default Python package from Python 2 to Python 3 on March 1st, uh, yeah, previous week. So that, guess what? That break, that broke buck. <laughs> <laughs> How do you deal with that? So I had to push like a workaround into our buck W wrapper that we have from OKBug okay to link for, just for buck, link to system Python on macOS, which is Python 2 for now at least because Buck has parts written in Python 2 and doesn't work in Python 3. And like, why the hell, like, not everything has a wrapper system like Gradle has? Ugh. So I'm actually fine with Python. <laughs> but again, uh, for small things, like a small script or something like that. Uh, Bash also does a trick most of the time. But when you have to pre-process some text or something like that, it is better to manage it with some real programming language. Programming language. 
but I have to agree with Artem that with uh, kind of medium to large projects, it, it the dy- dynamic type languages actually suck. Um, because I don't know, it just doesn't scale well. Um, because some person can write some types that he imagines, and you have to use it some way or another. And and, and I don't know, it just becomes a mess pretty quickly. So I would just prefer for something scalable, or that you want to expand, or I don't know, something like that, just to use static type language like Kotlin or something. Oh, I have. So yeah, I have had a weird experience last weeks or two weeks ago when. In general, I agree that I prefer statically typed languages, and especially for large projects, so Python or dynamically typed language just for some small scripting is fine from my point of view. And last week or two weeks ago, I've tried to uh, to write my first Flutter app with Dart, which is which well, there's Dart 1.0, which no, is no, a, no, 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 well, 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 let's touch this briefly because it was really, really rich experience. <laughs> okay, let's just vote. No, but seriously, um, I I started using with uh, Flutter with Dart one, which is a dynamically typed language. Dart two has uh, is still a dynamically typed language, but has some um, compiler f- options enabled by default that basically adds type checking and is kind of then statically typed. But the thing was by using IntelliJ with the plugin for Flutter and Dart it really felt like writing on a statically typed language. You get all those syntax highlight errors just by the IDE and still has these advantages at some, let's say, edge cases where you really want to have this um, dynamic uh, typical uh, structure when when you don't know exactly what the thing is. So if you really want to, yeah, you know, make advantage of those dynamically typed languages. Then you can still use it, and that was that was a really weird experience, but I really enjoyed it somehow. I'm not sure if uh, if I put this right together, but I don't know. It's it kind of was interesting to work in that environment. So having a good IDE, awesome support from the IDE with type checks, but still a dynamically typed language was was interesting. But that's all I have. Um, maybe we should move on to our last part, which was well, which is what kind of um, dependencies would you include in your app in 2018 if you would start a new Android application? And one quick question for Artem. Do you still use Scoop at uh, Lyft, the backstack and let's say fragment replacement? Oh yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, we, we just have a, of course we have like an internal version of it <laughs> just as sources in the project. We should eventually open source it. We just want to clean it up. Uh, we like some parts of it and don't like some other parts of it so yeah i think we should just make a version two of it because it works really well for us all of our apps are single activity apps and have lots of screens and it works so um yeah we we still use scoop and i would i would actually use scoop in my projects if it, if i would have one so nice it's nice cool and what other libraries would you use or maybe let's start with the network stack would you use retrofit i guess and okay http what would you what would be your json serialization serialization library of choice uh, okay uh, sure it would be retrofit if it's http rest api or something or okay http if it's websockets directly of course okay for some stuff if i need to work with syncs and sources Definitely not Picasso. Uh, Why? Probably. I see it in our list. Well, I mean, it's like such a weird choice for... I would definitely use Glide uh, or Universal Image Loader, actually. (laughs) 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 
universal image loader is deprecated, but uh, it's so good. It's really so good. It has everything you need. And while Picasso relies for caching on a KHTP and not really configurable on that side, and basically you end up trusting whatever headers you have from network for caching, or you can override them with interceptors, but that's like so detached from what you do with pictures, what I don't really like. Uh, I like that Glide and Universal Image Loader are much more configurable in terms of caching and like how many instances you create and like configurations. Let's say you have like a profile pictures and then like a, I don't know, like post pictures and you can have different cache policies for those. They also have like different cache uh, layers and you can plug custom caches and stuff like that which is as far as i know picasso point two point something doesn't support and solely relies on HTTP for that i'm not sure about picasso 3.0 uh, which is coming but yeah yeah have you already looked for into it json yeah uh no no i haven't at all mm. I, I i don't work I, I mean i haven't really touched ui mm -hmm. sometimes uh, maybe just to troll jake i don't know but no. <laughs> for json uh it's surprising I, it's like the Moshi from Square. It's, it's like it's a real nice concept, uh, especially knowing that Jesse Wilson worked on JSON, JSON, and like just tried to make a better version of JSON um, and use very efficiently use OKO. But the problem for me is that it somehow feels weird. And just recently, I was working on a Gradle plugin for dependency visualization, and I needed to output JSON for the web part of it. And I tried to use Moshi with Kotlin, and I had a sealed class, and it didn't pick it up. And all my sealed classes were empty, even though I've installed the Kotlin adapter. And I was like, okay, I don't really have time to deal with that right now. I just changed it to JSON, and everything worked. So I don't know. JSON is still pretty decent. Uh, JSON library is just that it has some quirks <laughs> you have to know about. Uh, specifically, the I think the lenient or something. It's something that you can. There is a setter for, but they don't really allow you to change this setting, no matter what you try. So such such problems could could occur, but it's still very fast and just very well known if you used it before. Jackson, on the other hand, is super awesome, uh, but and it's super configurable, uh, but it's also super big for Android apps, 10K methods and more. So probably not always for... Uh, Arthur reports that he has some problems with sound. Hmm. Well, no. Well, do we have much to add now? I think already over an hour of recording. So Yeah, I mean, mm. RxJava. <laughs> RxJava? And never use you... Flutter. Or... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a different story, <laughs> but yeah. How do you even write on with Flutter without Rx? How? You can use Rx Dart. Like, and Flutter has async await, so you can kind of use this coroutine-ish style of programming. And there is also some stream APIs. So, so yeah, you, it's not Rx Java, but you can get close to Rx Java. And if you really want to use Rx Java, you can use Rx Dart. So there is also an Rx Dart, uh, Rx implementation for Dart. But that's a different topic, I guess. So what about Rx Relay, Rx Replay Share, Replaying Share, Rx Binding? Do you still use them or have you found a better solution? Although I think those yeah, are pretty yeah. good solutions. Those are, those are pretty good. And the JUnit 4 versus JUnit 5? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, JUnit 5 just recently got a proper 
native Gradle support in Gradle 4.6. But it's still a messy setup to configure on the build system side. And yeah, I would like to use spec. It's just that uh, we need to finish version 2. <laughs> and then, yeah, then it would be spec all the time. <laughs> cool. And uh, maybe last question, which I would like to hear your opinion since you're working in a bigger company. Um, I assume that you have a QA department or something like that. Do you write still, let's say, espresso tests for UI testing or is there some higher level mm -hmm. concept or language you can use or QA uh, uses for writing, uh, let's say, specifications or tests for both Android and iOS? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... We use Espresso as an underlying UI like engine, but yeah, we have like uh, layers of abstractions over that. Tests don't directly invoke Espresso. However, we had to put it, the effort on pause a little bit because it's it's basically only me to support it from the project and build tool side, and I don't have it now. Mm -hmm. I'm planning to get back to it somewhere in the summer, hopefully. But yeah, I also have like dozen plus of other projects to finish right now. So <laughs> not, not right now, unfortunately. I see. Yeah, and definitely would not recommend like an app or something like that because it's much more limited and slower. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think that's that's all we have, right? So let's... Well, we have like a whole agile section, but yeah, you plan to export it to another episode. I think right. we should write, yeah, make another episode just on agile or okay. ask the listener, yeah. since you're not an agile fan, ask our listeners if they would like to hear our, our opinions on agile <laughs> if not we won't make it well i could be like a anti-agile advocate <laughs> all right agile doesn't work agile doesn't work oh let's stop this here otherwise <laughs> that's a buzzword but <laughs> i think it's better than just chaotically do something somehow but yeah let's keep this for the next episode all right so all right. yeah thanks arthur you wanna oh arthur said that yeah. he can't oh he yeah he has some, still some audio problems and can't join us oh okay but we should say bye oh, he for has him. snow cleaning machine <laughs> <laughs> yeah he has a snow cleaning machine that tries to destroy a building or something <laughs> yeah that's fine nice <laughs> i wish i could have snow here yeah. oh, poor poor you <laughs> no snow in california all the sun shining too bad that's actually too bad. Really, is it's it? Like so. I mean, we have here minus fifteen degrees. Not, not sure. Not interesting at all. Okay. Well, when you have like a sunshine and like ten degrees Celsius, it's also not good. It's like hmm. chilly. <sighs> First world problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. All right, then I think that's all. Thanks, Arthur, although he can't hear us and we can't hear him. Thank you, Arthur, and talk to you next time. I'm stopping the recording now. Yeah, thank you, guys. 